0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the only reason that we are able to stand is because of Your phenomenal grace. And it's the same with giving. The fact that we have anything to give is because of how You have blessed us. And now we commemorate Your grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, the first thing I want to say is thank the Lord for such a beautiful morning. I mean, I don't know how they get any better than this. Wonderful day that we have to come and worship the Lord. I'd like to remind you that this Friday, October the 7th, I'll be giving a, a Libronics tutorial here. And if you have a laptop, I have Logos for and would like to join us. It starts at 7 o'clock. If you get here a little early to get set up, that will be fine because we'll be here for two hours and it will fly by as you will see. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You that Your plan includes us. Indeed, that You are even mindful of us. It is beyond the scope of our comprehension that You would send Your own Son to die and pay the price that we owe. And we will be eternally grateful for that. And we pray that You will help us to focus and concentrate this morning. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We are in Joshua chapter 10, verse 24. We have lingered there a bit. We will linger there a little more today in that one verse because it's very important for us to understand what's going on in that verse. It's something somewhat strange. Uh, Joshua has conquered the southern part of Canaan in all of these different city-states. Five kings retreated and hid in a cave. Uh, they went on with the battle after they had covered the cave. They went back and recovered these kings, and now he is doing something that would appear strange. He has these five kings come out, and they bow down and put their head to the ground, and he has his officers, his military officers, officers come and put their foot on the neck of these kings. That seems somewhat strange, but he's trying to teach them something. And we need to learn the same lesson that these military officers were to learn. And that's why we're going to linger a bit more at this particular verse. It has everything to do with God being the victor. We we think of people who, uh, I guess probably even most people, think that there is a conflict going on, and they're right. There's a conflict between the forces of good led by God and the forces of evil that are led by Satan. We know it as the angelic conflict. But here's what a lot of people don't understand and don't know. Even a lot of believers don't know this, that it's not still unclear as to who's going to win. Uh, That's what the world thinks. And after all, they look at the world, they see all of the... Ugliness, the war, the strife, poverty, illness, all these things. And they think, hmm, uh, it looks like it might be a close race. Well, this is what Joshua was teaching his commanders. The victory has already been won. And we have to go back in our Bibles, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, to see where this actually begins, this concept that we are on the winning side, that God certainly has already, in His omniscience and omnipotence, won the victory. So if you will turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, or you can look up here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Very important verse. You could spend actually weeks studying this one verse if you exegeted it, took it apart, and saw all the significance. But we're looking at just really one thing in it for the most part, and that's what you see up in red in the verse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the first hint that God was going to send a Savior, that He was going to redeem mankind and take care of those forces of evil. Genesis 3.15, And I, this is referring to God, actually God the Father, will put enmity between you, that would be Satan, and the woman. You see, this is given after uh, Adam and Eve fell, and God now is going to pass judgment on them, but as well as the serpent, which was essentially uh, Satan himself. He was... uh, Involving the serpent. So you see that I, God, will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Her seed refers to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had to be born of the seed of the woman, not by the seed of the man. For if he would have been born by the seed of the man, in other words, if uh, Joseph had been his physical father, his human father, uh, then he would be disqualified to go to the cross. He'd have an old sin nature and so forth. So the seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. Now, here it is. He, uh, that will be um, Jesus Christ, shall bruise you, and that is the you there in context, is Satan on the head. Now, what that's referring to is that it's going to be a fatal blow. Uh, Usually when you have a blow to the head, it can very easily be fatal. And it's a fatal blow in the sense that Satan is going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. And you shall bruise him. This is you, Satan, shall bruise him. That would be Jesus Christ on the heel. Now, Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. He died. But then he was resurrected. So that was a temporary suffering not to minimize it but it still is not a mortal wound and so we see that it gives the imagery of the seed of the woman Jesus Christ is going to bruise some translations say crush the head of Satan and in doing that he is going to have his heel wounded which would be a uh, a non mortal wound, our Lord suffered on the cross, but Satan will suffer for all eternity in the lake of fire isn't it interesting if we go to uh, revelation i don 't want you to go there I'm just bringing out a point revelation thirteen three uh, gives us the information that a beast or the beast uh, will have a what appears to be a mortal wound to his it. Throughout Scripture, there is a ton of evidence that this is going to be manifested in many different ways, and we're going to we're going to look at that at, at least at first today. How this Genesis chapter three verse fifteen is given throughout the Bible? Because after all, this is you can see this is the ball game. This is what we are looking at with regards to the angelic angelic conflict. And here we have God giving us already the end game, how it's going to turn out. So this is very important. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, this seems like an odd place in the middle of Romans, which is... uh, book that is just concentrated with doctrine and this is more Romans 16 that's the last chapter he's about to sign off and he's giving them this uh, may the God of peace he's talking about God being the God of peace and he's saying he will soon crush Satan under your feet here we have that same imagery crushing and under the feet you know there's uh, a number of texts that is related to the imagery of this Romans chapter, excuse me, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Skulls crushed, enemies broken, the rebellious trodden underfoot, the defeated seed of the serpent licking the dust, and serpents smashed. This is not so much of a pretty picture, but it's an accurate picture of what goes on. I'll give you a few verses here if you want to jot them down of this type of imagery. Isaiah 27, 1. Psalm 74, 12 through 14. Isaiah 51, 9. And Luke 10, 18 through 19. Or a few other places where we get this imagery of crushing the head and the serpent and the scorpion and the snake and all these things the Bible gives us in telling us many different ways how God is going to use uh, jesus christ to crush the head of satan here's these verses again isaiah 27 1 psalm 74 12 through 14 isaiah 5 uh, excuse me isaiah 51 9 and luke 10 18 through 19 and we could also add romans chapter 16 verse 20. Essentially what God is saying in the Holy Spirit in Romans 1620 is that be of good cheer, you are in the battle you are in the war, but Satan is as good as toast already God has declared it he sees the end from the beginning and he is revealing that to us and it's important for us to know note that as you as we go through this you're going to be amazed at how many times it's talking about the enemy being defeated under our feet. Here we have Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And He, that would be God, hath put all things under His feet. That He is God the Father under His feet would be, of course, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. And gave to gave Him to be head over all things to the church. Ephesians it's giving a lot of information for uh, the church to operate. In Ephesians chapter 5, it is giving an uh, illustration. I think it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, along in that area. We have information uh, for how the marriage is to function. And it is comparing the marriage between a husband and a wife, between Christ and the church. And this is, uh, even at the very beginning, it's kind of introducing that. Then we have Psalm 110, 1. And look what we have here. We have, uh, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so we have, the footstool being a metaphor for the enemies of God. So Psalm 110 is so important that it is quoted all these other times here in uh, Scripture. If you have a footstool and they're your enemies, what do you do with the footstool? Put your feet on the footstool, don't you? So we have that same imagery of... The Lord, this would be God the Father, says to my Lord. See, this is David who's writing this. He says, The Lord, God the Father, says to my Lord, Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. But he, Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until, look at that, his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Acts chapter 2, verse 34 through 35. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Luke twenty, forty two through 43. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, that would be Psalms 110, 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So we see over and over the same imagery that we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that was shown in a physical sense in Joshua chapter ten, verse 24. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have this same Quote uh, from Psalms 110. Uh, this is a <clears throat> this is something we saw last time. I ended. I was in a bit of a hurry because I didn't have much time. And I showed you about God's message in the stars. I'm not going to go back and sh- show you the uh, overhead on the ecliptic, on the Mazaroth and the constellations and how they are telling God's message in the stars. We'll just take this one particular this one particular uh, set of constellations. This would be the ecliptic, by the way. This is the serpent handler, which is named Ophiuchus. Here's a star in the middle of his head right here, and the name of that star means the snake handler. And you have the serpent here, which would represent Satan. He's going up here, and he's got a hold of him. Uh, the serpent... Handler has his foot, notice where? On the neck of Scorpio. Scorpio, of course, uh, being representative of uh, Satan. And you have the snake here reaching up for the crown. This is Corona Borealis. The name of this constellation here is Serpens. He's reaching up for the crown, uh, Corona Borealis. He's not going to make it because the serpent handler has him under control. He's got his foot on Scorpio. This is just even showing you the importance of what's going on in Joshua chapter 10 verse 24 with the foot on the necks of the kings. Now these are five kings that are uh, having to kneel down and have their foot, uh, the enemy's foot on their head. See, these kings were used to people bowing down to them. And this shows total subjugation. You are totally controlled. You are wiped out when someone did this in the ancient world, put their foot on your neck. And so instead of people bowing down to them, they're bowing down to their conquerors and subjugating themselves to it. There's one more here, I believe. You know, here's one more. I couldn't get it all in here. This constellation here is Hercules. He's got Hydra the head. He's about to club it with a club here. This is his foot, and this is the constellation Draco. Notice where the foot is compared to the dragon's head. Of course, in the, in the Bible, the, the Satan is often called a, a snake, a dragon, a, a scorpion, and so forth. So even in God's message in the stars, it's so important for us to get the gist of what is going on in chapter 10, verse 24, that we can even see it up in the stars. Here's some things that we need to take note of that, again, has to do with the enemy being under the feet. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 33 through 39. Of course, uh, this is written by David. And he said, God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in his way. Look at this. What I have in blue is important because I'm trying to make a a point here. He makes my feet like hinds feet. That would be like a deer's or a, a goat maybe. And sets me on high places. He trains my hand for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation and you help make me great. You enlarge my steps under me, and my my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. And I have devoured them and shattered them, so that they did not rise, and they fell under my feet. I'm going to show you a, a, a few more verses that have the blue in here. What I'm trying to show you is that the enemy fell under David's feet. Why? Because of all those things in blue that in these verses show that God did for David. In other words, David did not conquer his enemies. They did not fall under his feet because David was so smart or he was so special or anything else. They fell because of what God had done for David. The next verse here is Psalm 44, 5. Through you... We will push back our adverse adversaries. Through your name, we will trample down those who rise up against us. Again, trample, the foot trampling down. For I will not trust in my bow, nor will, I, or nor will my sword save me. But you saved us from our adversaries, and you have put to shame those who hate us. So you see, again, the reason they were able to trample down the enemies, is because it was through God. It was God who saved them. I think this is, I would like to stop here and expand this and magnify this as how it would apply to us in 2011 in America because we really boast about having a strong military and we have all of the most scientific and latest state-of-the-art weapons And we have uh, a military that seems to be unconquerable. But I'm here to tell you that any military that does not trust in the Lord, any military who have homosexuals that are welcomed and celebrated within the military structure itself, any military that has done this has lost their way, And I don't care how strong the weaponry may be, they're going down. Went the wrong way on that one. Okay, here's a couple more. Psalm 60, verse 12, and Psalm 108, 14. It's the same verse. If you go to Psalm 108, 14, it's the same verse as Psalm 60, 12. And it says, Through God we shall do valiantly and it is he who will tread down our adversaries when Joshua and the Israelites were going through Canaan they had uh, they were facing superior forces superior numbers uh, they had fortified cities uh, they had chariots they they had all these things against them and yet Joshua and Israel went through them like a knife through butter because it was God who tread down the adversaries and this is what is recognized in Psalm 60 60:12 uh, and 108:14. Here's another Psalm, Psalm 91. Now Psalm 91 uh, verses 10 through 13 is very it, it, it's it's uh, there's a lot there. It says no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the lion and the serpent you will trample down. I want you to go there in your in your Bible, if you have your Bible there, because you're, I, I know you're going to want to make a note or two on this. I'm going to expand on this a little bit, and then we're going to go to verses 14 and 15, which is the other side of the coin, or at least more information with regards to this verse. This verse refers to the help that the church receives from the angelic realm by protecting us even when we tread upon the seed of the serpent. By the way, the lion, it says, you will tread upon the lion and cobra First Peter, it talks about uh, Satan being like a roaring lion. So what we see, every time it, the, the lion, the cobra, the enemies of God, all these can be construed as the seed of the serpent. We are in battle against the seed of the serpent. That doesn't always manifest itself Just uh, thinking about people, But we know in Ephesians chapter 6, we're talking about rulers and principalities, those uh, high officials of darkness. We're talking about a demonic realm there. So this is talking about, do we have a guardian angel? Yes, we do. And this isn't the only place that talks about this, but this is certainly one of them, that uh, he will give you his angels. We have help in order for God to use us to tread down the seed of the serpent, which here is given as lions and cobra. But here's a point that I think might be interesting. You might write in your margin, you might write this verse, Matthew 4, verse 6. In Matthew 4, verse 6, we have none other than Satan himself quoting this Scripture. Remember the temptation of Christ? And he had led Christ up to a high high uh, place and he he told Christ if you be the son of God and he knew that he was then jump down and he quoted the portion of this uh, verse that you will not strike that the angels will uh, bear you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against the stone what he was alleging is that if you're the Son of God and God is going to protect you, then go ahead and jump off and prove it. But there's only one thing that Satan did in all that that most people do who are twisting and converting these, uh, these Scriptures. He added something to it. Let's, go, well, let's just go to uh, Matthew chapter 4 because you might want to circle this also. Matthew chapter 4. Um, Verse 6 says, And and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give give His angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test." Now, there's one part in this in this scripture that isn't uh, in the New American Translation. He he added uh, uh, Satan added the words, "Lest at any time he will give the angels charge concerning you at any time, and on their hands they will bear you up." What he was trying to do is say that you can, you can, he was trying to get Jesus Christ to test God. In other words, the angels are going to aid and uh, protect and, and, and give you the help that you need when you are in God's will and you're treading upon the lion and the cobra. But He's not going to do it if you do something against His will, which would in this case would be suicide. Jumping off the mount would be against God's plan. At, at, at any time, they will do it. And that's not true, that it is any time. Now, I have to tell you, I, have, I, I went through uh, several uh, journals and from these theological scholars, and, and I didn't go to Matthew 4, verse 6 in my New American Standard Bible, and saw that it doesn't say at at any time. Do you see? Does any of you have a, a translation that says that? You do, the King James. Okay, that's what they were they were um, quoting from then, the, and that's the whole point that he he twisted scripture, because God the angels are not going to uh, help you and protect you at any time. They're going to do it when you're in God's will. If you, if you, In other words, if you go to commit suicide, that is not in God's will and the angels aren't going to protect you. The whole point that I'm trying to give you here is that we have the aid of God. In fact, God is the one that is going to trample our enemies before us. He can even use angels to do it. But He's not going to do it if we get off course, if we're no longer in His will or in His plan. And that's what Satan was doing. He was... He was essentially saying, at any time you do this, even if you're going to commit suicide and jump off this cliff, uh, this tower, you're you're still going to be protected. And that was a lie, and Christ didn't fall for it. Look what he said. Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, because that would be testing God. That would be a sin for Jesus Christ to do that, which, of course, is unthinkable. Now, here's the other part of Psalm 91, verses 10 through 13. We have verses 14 through 16. It says, Because He has loved me, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set Him securely on high, because He has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Do you see what's going on here? Look at this. It's giving you the reasons why this uh, in Psalm 91. Remember, this is just an um, here it is. This is just a continuation of this. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, they will bear you up in their hands, that you will not strike your foot against a stone. you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample on. Do you understand the imagery here from Genesis 3:15? Again, we trample down the enemy, and trampling down is the again, if you're going to trample something, what part of your body are you going to use? The foot? The foot is going to be on the enemy. It's got that same imagery. Now we just continue with that to the next verse. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. What I'm showing you is in these verses we see that God's deliverance is conditional. When we know him, love him, and call on him, he blesses us and empowers us. He empowers us to trample the enemy. But if you're not in God's plan, if you don't care anything about having a relationship with Him, you don't care about His Word, you don't care about any of these things, then don't think that God is going to send His angels and aid you to help you and that He's going to uh, satisfy you with uh, a long life and that you'll see His salvation. Look at this again. I had this in blue and I lost that part of it. Why is He going to deliver? because He has loved me. You can't love someone you don't know, and you can't know someone if you are ignorant of anything about them. And that's why we are here. That's why we study. That's why we grow in grace and knowledge, so that we can know God, so that our relationship with Him can grow, so that He can use us, so that we can have victory over the forces of evil, the seed of Satan, and He will... will Demolish them before us, just like He demolished the Canaanites before Joshua. And this is what Joshua is showing the, the military leaders. Can you imagine how humiliating it would be for a king to bow down before a military commander and expose his neck? That's what, that's what God wants for us, but it's still conditional. Look at the condition. Because you have loved me, therefore I will deliver. I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. Knowing my name means knowing the person. I submit to you that you cannot know Jesus Christ. You cannot know God the Father or the Holy Spirit. You can't know His plan. You can't know anything apart from His Word. And His Word should be a part of your life every single day. Apart from that, you're not going to have that deliverance. You're not going to have those angels that are... Helping you have victory. You won't even have any victory. You'll be down in the mire and you'll be wailing and crying and moaning and complaining. Look what our Lord is going to do when He returns at the second advent. This is in Isaiah 63, 1 through 3. See this imagery, The same thought is going on and on here. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? Glowing colors is another way to translate that is crimson colors. Now, if you've been in on our 1st and 2nd Thessalonian studies that we've been doing during the week, you'll recognize that when Jesus Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, He is going to go first to Basra. Basra is over there in... Uh, where Edom and Moab was. It's over there close to where Petra might be. It's on the east side of the Jordan. And he's going there first. One reason he's going there is because there's going to be an abundance of Jews there. They have hightailed it out of Jerusalem as God has instructed them. They're trying to uh, survive the attacks from Satan and his forces, the Antichrist. You know what I think when I think of this I <laughs> forgive me, but I, this image just comes in my head when I was a little boy, I used to love to watch uh cowboys and Indian movies, and uh, back then they had uh, forts made out of uh logs, vertical logs, and the Indians were crawling all over the place, and they were just about gone and all of a sudden you would hear <laughs> And you're all right, and here came the Calvary, see, and that would uh, just—that's what I think about Jesus Christ when He comes back. Similar scenario, only He's going to do a lot more damage than the Calvary did. So He's going back to Bosra. This is the context of this verse. This one who is majestic in His apparel—this is referring to Jesus Christ coming back as the Lion of Judah, majestic in His apparel. Marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red, and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? You see that? Treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine through alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trample them in my wrath and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments and I stained all my raiment. What's, why has he got all this blood on his clothes? Because he is taking care of business. When Jesus Christ returns, he has stored up wrath of all the evil and the rottenness in this world and he is going to stay, take come back and take charge. I hope you understand that At that point, everything is going to change. In fact, there are some tremendous monumental changes that are right around the corner. And the first one should be your blessed hope. You should be anxiously anticipating Jesus Christ's return. Not this one. We're talking about the rapture. When He comes and gets us, He's going to take us home. We're going to be evaluated. Some of us will be decorated and have rewards and privileges and opportunities that will last forever. We will be coming back with him when he takes care of business at Basra. And you'll notice that there was... He did it alone. We are going to be grandstanders. We are going to be watching. But you see all this, this, this imagery of pressing. It won't be grapes that our Lord will be trotting. It will be unbelievers... The seed of the woman who will be smashed and smushed. By the way, I looked that up today. There's no such word as smushed. I tried so hard to find it. I actually like the word smushed more than smashed because in my vocabulary, smashed is bad, but smushed is worse. So he is going to smush them, even though that's not the right word. See the imagery continuing? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25 through 27. For he must reign, that is, Jesus Christ must reign in the millennium. This is what it's talking about. Until he, God the Father, has put all his enemies, where? Under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he, God the Father, has put all things in subjection under his, Jesus Christ, feet. By the end of the millennium, in a perfect environment, if you have a, haven't gotten a copy of Israel My Glory, that's what this is all about the millennium and how wonderful it's going to be. It's, it just is captivating to read what the Bible has to say about this period of time. But even in that time, there's still going to be free will and there's going to be people under perfect environment. Satan is locked up. Jesus Christ is ruling from the world from the capital city of Jerusalem. We will be in resurrection bodies. We will be administrating His government. There will be perfect weather, perfect peace, everything, and yet there are still going to be knuckleheads that are going to reject Jesus Christ. So much so that they are going to be numbered as the sand on the seashore. And at the end of the millennium, God is going to release Satan. He's going to go up and He's going to foment a revolution. It's called the Gog Revolution. And Jesus Christ is going to uh, demolish that just with fire from heaven. Boom, it's gone. So when it says that he uh, He has put all His enemies under His feet, this is the last gasp of Satan and man to go against God's anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will take care of it. And the only thing that he hadn't defeated up to that point, it says uh, His enemies, uh, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Because after that point, it appears that there's not going to be any more uh, humans after the millennium. Uh, in In regular physical bodies, it appears that everyone will be in resurrected bodies. Now, I have to put one caveat on the under that that is unless the dispensation of the fullness of times, which is found in Ephesians chapter one, means that they go on i hadn 't ciphered that out yet, so uh, for the most part, uh, everything then will be subjugated to his feet. Are you all with me? You understand what i 'm telling you okay so uh, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. The reason that God has put all things in subjection under his feet is because Christ has already won the victory. Do you understand that? We go we we went this this verse last time, Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Write this verse down. Very important verse. And in fact, go in your Bible. If you haven't gone there before, go there now because there's a certain word that has to be changed. It won't make sense unless you change it. Just about every translation I've seen has it wrong. Colossians chapter two, verse fifteen. I want one thing. I want to point out. I should before. In, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25 through 27. Remember all those other verses that had to do with subjecting uh, the seed of the woman. The, put all things in subjection under his feet. Remember the footstool and all this? This is very important. I know you all are looking, but just just look at this for just a second. Has put all things in subjection under his feet. It doesn't say he will put. He has put. You know why that's so important? Because the victory is already won. Christ won the victory at the cross. Broke the back of Satan at the cross. Here we have it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. When he had, that would be Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities. Who's it talking about, the rulers and authorities? Same ones that you see in Ephesians chapter 6. These are the rulers and authorities of satanic forces in high places. It's not it's not just the men on earth who are in the rulers and those that are in high places because they are puppets of the demonic hordes. When he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through if it says him there I thought I had crossed that out. If it does say him, cross that out and write it because it's not him, it's it. The Greek word there is autoi, A-U-T-O-I. You don't see the I because I couldn't put the iota subscript on here. I don't know how to do it on my computer. But the the word, if you translate it into English, is A-U-T-O-I. That's an omega ending there. And autoi can be either... Singular masculine or singular neuter. In this case, it's the neuter and should be translated it. And the it is referring to the cross. If you look at the context, the verse right above it, you'll see the cross mentioned. Am I going too fast? Do I need to elaborate on that anymore? Y'all good? Okay. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us what? The what? The what? All right, the victory. What What does Christ give us? He gave us the victory. I'm sorry. I'm hard on y'all this morning. But when I think of this, I'm going to read it the way I think it. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory. We have the victory. All that I'm telling you this morning, all that the Bible is portraying to you is that you have the victory already. And now it comes down to this. You're on the winning side. God has given you everything. Remember all those verses? Uh, Because you know me, because you love me, because you call on me, I will deliver you and I will do all this. It's up to you whether you want to participate in that victory or whether you want to sit on the sidelines and be part of the problem rather than part of the solution. I was so fortunate when I played sports, I am not didn't have anything, to, well maybe a little bit to do with me, but uh, I always had winning, <laughs> I was on winning teams, even in peewees and in little league, and when I went into high school, in college, everywhere I went, winning teams. Now. This is not a bragemony, but what I want you to understand is I had good coaches. And what the coaches would not tolerate is someone, especially it usually comes from people on the bench who are there complaining because they don't get to play and they're going to run down someone else out there that is playing. They're doing a good job, but they're bitter and they're full of self-pity because they're not out there uh, playing. And they bring down the team. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. They don't realize that God has already given us the victory. He's given you individually victory. He's given you everything that you need to have victory in your life. And I'm not just talking about a kind of victory. I'm talking about the kind of victory where you have your foot on the neck of the enemy. He's given you the ability to do that. And so many people don't realize it. They are so bogged down in the details of life. They've left Christ, the God and the Bible out of the equation. They don't even think about it. And then they wanna they wanna complain and moan and groan about why they don't have any success in life and why does this have to happen to me? And then, 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 then. they go on and on. If I was gonna Aren't you glad I'm not God? <laughs> I mean, whining, and cry, babies, it's just mew and yeah. You're just sick of it. And Unfortunately, that's the way most believers are. They live their life like, well, I can't do anything about everything going bad. I got a black cloud over my head, and everywhere I go, It, just bloop, 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 bloop. it goes on and on. Wake up. The Bible I, have I given you enough illustration to show you that God has conquered the enemy. He's given us everything that we need, even the help of angels, so that we can take our foot and put it on the enemy. It's not because of who and what we are. It's because of what He has done. We have the ability to do it. Now, it's up to you whether you're going to take part of that victory or you want to sit on the sidelines and whine and complain that uh, you're not getting your slice of the pie. Quite a message, isn't it? I don't know if I have anything else on here. I don't know what's next. I'm going to click it and we'll see. okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Woo Okay. It's um, back up there again. okay. Now, I have to go over my notes. All this, by the way, y'all go back to Joshua chapter 10, verse 24. This is where all this came out of. I'm, I'm, I'm just out of time, but I'm so glad I have time to read verse 25 because everything that we went through in the last two Sundays with this imagery of Genesis 3.15, the foot on the neck of the enemy because of who and what God is. He's already won the victory. Is the, the purpose, the, 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 the foundation of it is in verse 25. Look at it. Joshua said, uh, then said to them, these were the uh, military leaders and officers, and when he said this, hey, when he said this, they were standing there with their foot on the neck of a king when he said this. Joshua then said to them, Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. Now that's, that, that's pretty powerful to begin with. But when you're standing there with your foot on the neck of a king that was your enemy, it has all the more power to it. Now, what this is saying to us is it's up to you. Do you want to be part of the victory? Do you want to have that zeal that comes with being part of the victory? I I watched a few college games yesterday, uh, football games, and I've got to quit doing that because I get... Uh, I get just exasperated. These Texas teams, I don't know what's the matter with them. I don't know if you saw Baylor, A&M, imploded. Well, that's another thing. But anyway, uh, the point is, (laughs) see, that's why I don't want to go down those dog trails. Here's the point. We are not to live our life in fear. God has given us the victory. We can be part of it. But we can't share in the victory if we don't participate in learning His Word, having a relationship with Him, growing, knowing something about Him. It's just like the people who are sitting on the bench. Well, maybe they didn't learn the plays. Maybe they didn't didn't really give it their all. Whatever it may be, we have the opportunity, every one of you, are qualified and a potential winner in God's game plan because He's telling us through His Word there's no enemy to fear. I don't care what your enemy might be or what you fear. God has already conquered it. He's already given us the means to rise above our circumstances and see Him deliver us and fight for us. And that's our choice at the end of this message is for you. You want to be part of the victory? You want to share in that glorious victory? Do you want to see God conquer your enemies, deliver you in any set of circumstances? Do you want to be rid of fear and not fear death or anything else? That's what all this imagery is about. Now, I'd like everyone, please, to bow your heads. You will go through life afraid, confused, angry, if you do not understand what God has already done for you. He's already given us the victory. Jesus Christ went to the cross on your behalf, paid for your sins. He died, rose again, and now He offers you and anyone else who will trust Him and Him alone for eternal life. You receive that life as a gift simply by trusting in Jesus Christ and His work rather than trusting in your own work. And in that moment, you are born again. You become a child of God. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. Now the issue is, do you want to sit on the bench and moan and groan and cry? Or do you want to be part of the victory? Because it's ours for the taking. Now, Father, we thank You for this time We thank You for Your Word, how it exhilarates us. It gives us hope and courage. And pray that You will help us to continue to grow in grace and knowledge and be partakers of Your great victory. We pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.